Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Once upon a time, music was incredibly tribal. Once you picked a tribe, you had to conform to serious and rigid rules. Whatever the prevailing dogma dictated was your reality. Snobbery abounded. For example, in the 70s, 80s, and well into the 90s, rock was divided basically into two camps. On one side were the mainstream rockers, fans of the artists that occupied most of the public's attention. They also got most of the radio airplay, most of the record sales, and sold most of the concert tickets. They were on top of the rock and roll zeitgeist. On the other side were the alternative kids. They were the outsiders, the weirdos, the misfits. And they were quite happy with that position. Alt-rockers were content with their own little musical universe and just really wanted to be left alone. But here's the thing. During this period, these two tribes were actually locked in a cold war. It was a war of musical ideology, musical outlook, and musical aspirations, and woe to any tribe member who tried to change tribes. You might as well have tried to take a stroll across the DMZ between North and South Korea. Things could be that rigid. And there was more. If you were a mainstream rock fan, you could not admit to your fellow tribe members that you liked music from the other side. Same thing if you were an alt-rocker. To admit that you liked Led Zeppelin or Black Sabbath or Van Halen was nothing short of heresy. In fact, you risked being exiled from your tribe. I recall one time when Billy Corgan admitted that some of the Smashing Pumpkins sound was influenced by Judas Priest, and there was shock and horror, treason. If social media had been around back then, Billy Corgan would have been trolled to death. Even though if you listened to the pumpkins, you could hear that kind of metal influence coming through. It just didn't make sense. The influence was there. You just couldn't say what it was. Today, though, those rigid tribal rules have broken down. We've entered an era where we're very ecumenical about music. More and more, the prevailing philosophy is, look, respect all music. Just listen to what you want. This is healthy because it opens up new vistas for music. You're not restricting yourself anymore. And this goes for influencing and for influences when it comes to making new music. Here, let me show you what I mean. This is the Ongoing History of New Music Podcast with Alan Cross. Welcome again, I'm Alan Cross, and this is the first in an occasional series of programs I call The Influencers. We're going to look at alternative performers who acknowledge the influence, 
either openly or through their music, of what we call heritage or legacy artists. And I think you'll be surprised at what they have in common with the alt-rockers, more than you think, actually. Now, to start, we're going to go through a series of performers who can all trace a significant portion of their sound, image, and attitude to Bruce Springsteen. Yep, the boss. Or, if not that, at least some significant respect for Bruce Springsteen. The hope is that you'll get a better understanding of where these alt-rockers are coming from, musically, lyrically, and in terms of influence. If you're confused why I would do something involving Springsteen on a show that deals with alt-rock, here's something I need you to remember. Musicians tend to have a bigger and broader palette of musical tastes to draw upon. Music is their business, their livelihood. They're constantly looking for new ideas and new influences and new inspiration. And I want to underscore that with this episode. Alt-rockers are not just listening to other alt-rockers. They're listening to everything. Got it? So here are the basics about Springsteen. You probably know this. A voice for the everyman. Recognizable characters in his songs. Familiar working-class attitudes, dreams, and problems. Acknowledgement of historical figures. Politically aware. Socially conscious. Plenty of activism to back it up. Anthemic songs. Messages of hope mostly anyway, poetic lyrics, and highly energetic live performances. The first group on my Springsteen-influenced list is U2. When they were on their way up, Bono and the rest of the band studied Springsteen on his Born in the USA tour in 1984. They watched how he took big songs and made them bigger in a stadium setting without diluting all the emotion in those songs. Now, Bono was already deep into writing songs about real people, real events, and real politics. And by the time they get to The Joshua Tree in 1987, U2 had figured out what Springsteen was doing. And, well, from there, they went on to become the biggest band in the world. When Springsteen was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1999, it was U2 who did it. And when U2 was inducted in 2005, Springsteen returned the favor. Obviously, plenty of mutual respect and admiration here. Let's go back to September 25th, 1987. U2 was at JFK Stadium in Philadelphia, and Bono needed a little help. Five days earlier, Bono had dislocated his shoulder and couldn't play the guitar because his arm was in a sling. He'd taken to bringing fans on stage to play with the band when he was supposed to do something. But on this night, this happened. You too, obviously influenced by Bruce Springsteen. Next on this list of alt-rock bands that owe something to the boss is Arcade Fire. Let's deconstruct that a little bit. Like Springsteen's E Street Band, Arcade Fire has a lot of members playing a lot of different instruments. Many of their songs are about disillusionment, alienation, and confusion with the modern world. They're not singing about factory workers or some guy who wants to ride out of town on a motorcycle, but the sentiments boil down to essentially the same thing. Left-leaning politics? Check. Concerts that are designed to reach the very back rows of the arena with their grandeur? Check. And mutual admiration? Also check. Here's Arcade Fire at Scotiabank Place in Ottawa on October 4th, 2007, where Bruce showed up on stage to perform Keep the Car Running." A 
another live guest appearance, Arcade Fire with Bruce Springsteen. Here's a connection that will be of zero surprise, Springsteen and Rage Against the Machine. Despite the differences in the sound of their music, they are definitely kindred spirits when it comes to being socially conscious, giving voice to the voiceless, and engaging in political activism. Tom Morello is an especially big fan of Springsteen. He was taken with the title track of Bruce's 1995 album, The Ghost of Tom Joad. In its original form, it's a quiet folk song that told the story of the main character from the John Steinbeck novel, The Grapes of Wrath. In 1997, Rage released a self-titled video concert album on VHS that included a very loud cover of the song. The first full song on the tape was a studio version of The Ghosts of Tom Joad. It was later released as a single and also showed up on the 2000 album Renegades. Rage Against the Machine, covering Bruce Springsteen's The Ghost of Tom Joad. There was also a live recording of that song featuring Tom Morello sitting in with Bruce and the East Reed Band. And if you look on Springsteen's 2014 album High Hopes, there is a studio re-recording that features Tom Morello. So again, mutual admiration. This episode is all about how a particular artist has influenced the work of many other alternative performers over the years. Specifically, the little bits of musical DNA spread by Bruce Springsteen. When you're as big as him, there is no way that other people won't take notice and pick up on at least some of what he's done. One guy who wears his Springsteen influence on his sleeve is Brian Fallon, leader of the Gaslight Anthem. First of all, he is also from New Jersey, New Brunswick, New Jersey, to be specific. And there is no escaping the Springsteen influence when you're from Jersey. John Bon Jovi once said, in New Jersey, if you don't like Springsteen, they raise your taxes. While the music of Brian and the Gaslight Anthem is definitely infused with a soulful sort of punk rock, they're also singing about yearning and dreams from someone caught in the big city or someone who lives in the heartland and hopes to make it to the big city. And not just in North America either. There was something about what the Gaslight Anthem did that caught on in Europe. Springsteen himself recognized what the Gaslight Anthem was doing. In 2009, when the band was performing at Glastonbury, Springsteen joined them on stage. You cannot get a bigger endorsement than that. Through the Gaslight Anthem's career, some of their lyrics have been direct references to Springsteen lyrics, sometimes dropping in full lines from songs like I'm on Fire and Atlantic City and Sandy. No Springsteen references in this particular song, but the influence is unmistakable. This is from a 2008 album called The 59 Sound, and it's the title track. Brian Fallon and the Gaslight Anthem, very much in the thrall of Bruce Springsteen. If you like that, you'll definitely get into this next band, The Hold Steady. They're from Brooklyn and evolved of a punk band or two. They are deep into telling stories with their songs. People with dead-end jobs, people who live in small towns, people who have hopes and dreams and romantic notions, the down-and-outers. But they also pepper their stuff with plenty of positive messages. Again, all very Springsteen-ish. And if you had to distill things down to something, you could say that the Hold Steady are very influenced by 70s-era Springsteen, especially albums like Born to Run. And singer Craig Finn 
can channel the Springsteen attitude very well. Listen to the diction and delivery. Here's an example of what I'm talking about. This is the Hold Steady and the title track of their 2008 record, Stay Positive. When the chaperone crowned us the king and the queen, I knew that we'd arrived at a unified scene and all those little lamps from my dreams, well, they were there too. Stay Positive from the Hold Steady, another band in our list of alt-rockers who have been influenced by Bruce Springsteen. Next up is Pearl Jam. Now, this shouldn't come as much of a surprise, given Pearl Jam's activism, political bent, and attempts to channel the voice of everyday people. Back in 2004, Springsteen had something called the Vote for Change Tour, which took him and R.E.M. through the swing states that were critical in the 2004 U.S. presidential election. Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Minnesota, as well as D.C. Springsteen was very, very against George W. Bush and wanted to do whatever he could to help Democratic candidate John Kerry. It didn't work, obviously, and Bush won a second term, but a lot of people were convinced to vote. Let's go back to that tour. A New Jersey show was added at the last second on October the 13th, 2004, and midway through the gig, Springsteen invited Eddie Vedder on stage to play Better Man. Check it out. Eddie Vedder singing with Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band at a Rock for Change event in New Jersey in 2004. This episode is all about recognizing and exploring the influences of alt-rock performers. And if you've been listening this whole time, you've heard about how Bruce Springsteen has been channeled by these artists in one way or another. There are many people who have pointed out the similarities between Springsteen and Dave Grohl, especially in that everyman sort of appeal both have. If it weren't for their famous faces, they could be anyone with the way they dress and act. They tend to come across as, as just, you know, regular dudes. Dave has always admired Springsteen's stage performance and for years tried to live up to that kind of energy. He's generally quite excellent at that. Uh, you know what I'm talking about if you've ever seen the Foos play live. But it also resulted in a broken leg. Let me tell you this story. The night that happened, the night Dave broke his leg, he was very aware that Springsteen had played the same venue in Sweden. And that show was so intense that the foundation of the building cracked. So Dave and the band felt pressure to live up to that kind of intensity that night. So they pulled out all the stops. But there was that one instant where Dave lost focus, walked off the stage, and broke his leg. Blame it on Bruce, I guess. And yes, Dave and Bruce have performed together. In 2014, they played a special event together called The Concert of Valor, which was a fundraiser for American military servicemen and women. I'm not entirely sure about their choice of material. You know, an anti-war song by Creedence Clearwater Revival, which seemed a bit odd. But here it is, just the same. Dave Grohl, Bruce Springsteen, and Zach Brown all playing together in 2014 during a benefit for American military veterans. When it comes to the final alt-rock band with Springsteen-esque influences, you might be a bit surprised by this choice, but hear me out. The band is The Killers, specifically with the Samstown album from 2006. 
Singer Brandon Flowers was totally honest when he said the group went into this album with the idea of making it as Springsteen as possible. That included big songs with things like horn sections and plenty of storytelling. They really did want to make a Springsteen-type album featuring great American rock songs. Unfortunately, Samstown didn't really pan out. The reviews weren't great at first, and the band ended up moving in a different direction, which worked out fine, of course. But in the years since Samstown has been out, there has been a considerable amount of reevaluation. And the general consensus today is that, yeah, Brandon Flowers was okay with his Springsteen impression, but maybe, maybe not do it again. And like so many other artists on this program, the Killers got to perform with the boss. In this case, it was the 2009 Pink Pop Festival in the Netherlands. The Killers played right before Springsteen, and Brandon was brought back on during the E Street Band set to sing Thunder Road. But to illustrate my point for this program, I want to go back to Samstown and pick out some of the things the Killers picked up from Springsteen. This particular song was inspired largely by Born to Run. You can hear it in the sense of yearning throughout the song. There are the guitar licks, the instrumentation, especially the glockenspiel flourishes, the big descending musical accents, the big production. It's all very, very Springsteen-ish. Plus, the band had been listening to a lot of Born to Run and were enamored with the keyboard sounds of that record. The result was a single that was nominated for a Grammy in the category of Best Rock Song. Could not have happened without the boss's influence. And now that you know what to listen for, you may never hear this song the same way again. See what I mean? Very born to run. The Killers, with the most Springsteen-sounding song they've ever written. Now, we've covered just a few alternative artists who have incorporated Bruce Springsteen's DNA. We could talk about Kings of Leon, Bright Eyes, Drive-By Truckers, The Waterboys, Counting Crows, Wallflowers, Smithereens, Titus Andronicus, The Lumineers. The list really does go on and on. And remember what I said at the beginning. Even though a particular artist may be known for one particular genre or sound, they are always looking for something to inspire them. And that will almost always take them out of the sounds that they make and into places that may have nothing to do with what they write, record, and perform. I just find that fascinating. For more music news and information, check out my website. It can be found at ajournalofmusicalthings.com. It's updated every day and comes with a free daily newsletter to ensure that you won't miss a thing. I can also be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Plus, all email can go to alan at alancross.ca. Try me. I will answer. Technical production for all this is by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.